hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the On Earth podcast, where I, your host, Nathan Ephemoli, will be telling and listening to different stories in the hope that we can see each other as more the same in God's eyes and different in our own. This show I'm very excited for. We have Elder Holbrook and Elder McIntosh with us today. Elder Holbrook and Elder McIntosh are volunteer missionaries as part of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, which, just for that one mouthful alone, will be known as LDS going forwards, um, but you may know them more colloquially as Mormons. Having reached out to me over Instagram, we recently had a call which was super interesting, which kind of led to this podcast, which I'm really excited to get underway. So before we kind of get into it, I want to be nice and upfront and say that there are a few aims to this call, because I think that for me, it's about, it's not about conversion, it's about understanding what it actually means to be part of the LDS, what similarities and uh, differences there may be between the LDS and Christianity, and also to understand who Elder Holbrook and Elder McIntosh are as people themselves. And a quick note for anyone else wondering, um, I really think that it's important that if I'm going to do this podcast and the whole aim of it is about humanizing people, it's not really, I'm not really here to discuss about whether I agree or disagree with the opinions put forward or I'm about challenging what I understood to be the case and actually critically engaging with that. And I hope you're here for that right too. Um, I think with all that out the way, the last thing is to notice there might be a little bit of jargon. Um, or terms you're not familiar with, but we will all endeavour to kind of simplify things as much as possible and you know where to find me if you have any more questions. And I also received the Book of Mormon in preparation for this interview. I've done about, I don't know, a fair bit, five, six hours of research <laughs> for this podcast episode. So I, I won't be super knowledgeable, but I, I've at least made a goal of trying to get a basal understanding of the topic at hand. I'll share a link to my bibliography or reference list if people want to see what I looked at. But that mouthful all over without further ado <laughs> the interview welcome guys how are you today doing great we're really good how are you doing yeah not too bad as we were discussing it is well oh come on wait so i look outside and now that it's not raining it's just sun <laughs> honestly <laughs> changes every two minutes so <laughs> we are recording this on the 16th of february and it's you know what 4 20 p.m so the sun the sun's out it's i mean it's honestly down but it's out it's blazing sun and then when we first talked on the call it was just like it was pouring it down with rain and then you look outside and it stops this is scotland that is the point like i shouldn't be surprised <laughs> yeah, honestly welcome to glasgow still noteworthy so <laughs> anyway gents i guess my fault for this episode was is that we, as we're saying like i think it's quite common when people hear the word mormon or lds or even if they just see you guys out in the street evangelizing and talking to people I think from where I've sat, there's quite often a sense to just try and avoid or not spend much time with, or just, I don't know how to call it, just general avoidance is how I can think about it. But what I've invited you guys to do is part is, I'm gonna give you, I say I'm gonna count, I'm gonna roughly count, but I want to give you guys, you know, three minutes or so, and I want you to just say do the pitch. If this, if this is an elevator pitch and you wanted to tell a non-believer about, um, what you believe in as members of the LDS and what you want them to understand. Like, I just want you to just, just go through it. You, you've, you've got three lay minutes. It out. Yeah, yeah, lay, lay it out as clearly as you can. I know it won't be everything. I know people will still have questions, but just, I think before we get into anything else, I think it's clear that people should clearly understand what you guys say about yourselves rather than your know, secondhand knowledge or anything like that. So whenever yeah. you're ready. <laughs> Wonderful. Three minutes ready, set, go, here we go. <laughs> No, well, thank you for having us. Um, so as, as a very brief introduction, um, 
just like Nathan said at the beginning, just like you said, um, we belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So to begin the, the introduction, it makes sense to understand what the Church of Jesus Christ is. So we believe that when Jesus Christ was on the earth about 2,000 years ago, he was, he was the Son of God. Um, we believe that he had the authority to act in the name of God. Um, we call this the priesthood. And we believe that he gave this priesthood authority to, to men called apostles. Um, now, the purpose of this, this organization of a church was that so all of God's children could be blessed. These apostles went throughout the land. They taught. They baptized. They healed. Um, and this was all according to that priesthood authority that Jesus Christ established in his church. Uh, now, just throughout the Bible, you can see a, a trend that has happened. You know, God calls prophets. He wants to bless his children. And unfortunately, the people, you know, they, they become prideful. They, they kind of like, you know, who needs prophet? Who needs God in our lives? And sadly, they reject the prophet. And so, you know, throughout the Bible, it's happened all throughout the centuries. And there's even prophecies in the New Testament of a great apostasy that happens. And so after Christ's death and after the death of his apostles, this great apostasy, the prophecy was fulfilled. Um, the power to act in behalf of God was lost. Same with God's church. His correct doctrines and his correct church was lost. Exactly. Now, fundamentally, there's there's a lot of doctrine, right? But the very base of what we believe is that everyone's a child of God um, and that he loves everyone. And so we believe that in about the year 1820, God called another prophet. His name was Joseph Smith. And through Joseph Smith, God restored that, that authority. We believe that, that Joseph Smith had an experience where he saw God in Jesus Christ. Um, and that original church that Jesus Christ established was brought back to the earth so that God's children can be blessed again. Um, now, that's a, that's a ludicrously brief um, summary of the church, yeah. right? But this is, the, this is the overall idea. And the reason that I'm here sharing it is because I've, I've come to know it's true. Um, and I've come to, to feel of the peace and the happiness that it brings to me. Um, and we just love to share this with other people. Yeah, honestly, very similar to Elder Macintosh for myself as well. Um, you know, through prayer, through scripture study, um, through asking God, ultimately, mm -hmm. receiving my own personal witness that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's church on this earth today. Um, and so that's a special message we like to share is about okay. how God has reached out in love again. Right. So, Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. It's, it's good to I say hear the whole thing in a sense that <laughs> I don't sense weird, but like I can't even say I myself have heard, you know, street street evangelizers or you know street conversion, mm -hmm. right? And actually kind of stopping going, hey, tell tell me, tell me the whole thing. Yeah. So it's, it's good to hear that. So yes. now I have been, you know, following friends, uh, people from my wider circle, just on Instagram and on Facebook. If you want to come find us at Instagram, it's um, at a God made man. So a God made underscore man, all lowercase, if you want to find us there. But essentially, I've tried to, <laughs> I've tried to take the most of um, people's different opinions, questions, myths, and kind of chuck them into this list of say, what, 12, 12-ish 12 so points. Now, I know we can't spend lots of time on each of them, as again, we do not have all day, but I would like to just pose these to you and just kind of just hear your response, really. Um, yeah. 
But here's, here's, here's one to begin with, that Mormons don't drink caffeine, that members of the LDS don't drink caffeine. Now, this is one I've heard little bits and pieces about, but I don't really know yeah. what's behind it. Yeah, no, honestly, back at home, I used to drink a Mountain Dew a day. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, we, we can drink caffeine. Okay. So, it's just like we, we don't drink tea, coffee, alcohol. Don't do mm -hmm. drugs. It's like unprescribed drugs. Right. Tobacco, so. Ah, so so it's it's caffeine. So you do you can drink caffeine, but then so what is it about sort of not drinking tea and coffee that's on the table? Right. You know, no. Alcohol is the case in in other faiths and you know other systems that I think other people are aware more so of the reasoning behind that in cases. But what about tea and coffee? Yeah. No. For sure. Um, and honestly, that's, it's, it's very valid that people, people think this, like it's a, an understandable, um, idea. Really, we don't, we don't have a solid explanation. It's like, this is why we don't drink coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, we talked at the beginning about how God is called a prophet to the earth, right? And Joseph Smith. Yeah. And part of, part of what we believe as a church is that God is in constant communication with his children. Um, and we call this revelation, this process by, by which God communicates with us. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the, one of these revelations that was received by Joseph Smith was something called the word of wisdom, which is what Elder Holbrook just outlined with the, the tea, coffee, um, et cetera. And there wasn't a whole lot of explanation behind it. We just believed that it came from the Lord through a prophet. Um, and we believe that God has, has our best interests in mind. Okay. I hope that that semi answers the question. Well, I, I can I can see what you mean in the sense that you believe it to be a message from God and therefore you follow it. Um, I guess my only question, or my only, but one of my questions then would be, has, has anyone else received the same revelation or has it just come through Joseph Smith and then it's gone to the church and that's what the church believes? Yeah, I think that all ties back into the restoration. Mm -hmm. Um, ties back into the restoration of the correct priesthood, mm -hmm. um, the act to behalf and to act, the authority to act in behalf of God. But by my knowledge, I don't think so. I guess mm -hmm. I don't know any other church that has. So okay. Yeah. So in this case, because I think I did uh, read a little bit about this. So Joseph Smith being the first, but you, the Latter Day Saints, since have um, a living prophet. Mm -hmm. yeah understood yeah. yeah so you have you have one now that's very day and you've had one since like 1820 1821 so yeah. is is this person i can't can't mind who it currently is but is this person i know has been brigham young and uh joseph fielding smith and others since but is it that are they are they considered to be the person who has sole divine revelation from god no that's that's a great question so the prophet is the only person who can receive revelation for the church as a whole. Okay. Um, so with, with policies that go churchwide, with things that apply to everyone. Mm -hmm. But we believe that we believe in personal revelation. Okay. So we believe that while God does communicate with the prophet, while there are things that go to everyone, there are also things that only Nathan needs to know, right? Or only mm -hmm. I need to know, or only other Holbrook needs to know. Okay. And so anyone can receive this communication with God. Right. The the purpose for the prophet is receiving those those communications that apply to everyone. Right. So only, only that prophet will receive revelation that concerns the entire church. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
So is, I, I assume there's not, but has there ever been a case where um, yourselves or anyone you know feels like they've been given revelation from God that would be a contradiction with that of the prophet? So for instance, with this caffeine one, because Elder Holbrook, you said that when you were back home, you drank a lot of Mountain Dew. So I imagine, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that oh, yeah. in that case, like, because some, some will pedantically or not make the argument that Mountain Dew, whether it's caffeine or like, that would be the case. I know you said you can drink caffeine, but not tea, coffee, alcohol, etc. So I guess my question is if tomorrow one of you were to have a revelation from God that um, drinking coffee was was fine, then is there a process for taking that to the prophet? Does, does that hold any sway or how does that work? So first off is like we believe that I can't receive revelation for Elder Macintosh. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you know, yeah. I can't receive revelation for yourself. Um, and honestly, what'd you say? I would say, I would say no, honestly. Um, okay. the, the Lord has, has organized the church in such a way that, um, it is, that's a good question. So essentially, so I'm trying to get all my thoughts in order here. <laughs> so basically the Lord would not reveal something to the prophet for the whole church and then go to individuals in the church and be like, no, nope, it doesn't count for you. Don't worry about it. Okay. So essentially everything that comes through a prophet and is, is declared to the whole church um, would apply to everyone. And we don't okay. believe the Lord would go through and like make little exceptions for people. Sure. So I guess, cause in that case, that could be viewed as an, an undermining of a sense. In that way, right. you, you just have a prophet yeah. and then tell other people, well, you know, yeah, you just you know, <laughs> right, yeah, don't know where that is. In that <laughs> yeah. case, I could tell someone I received revelation and I could go drink alcohol. So, sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the next one we've got up is that members of the LDS have to attend BYU or Brigham Young University. Now, I understand there's what, three of these, one in Utah, one in Idaho, one in Hawaii, if I've got the yeah. three. Yeah. The Hawaii one, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not against it, you know. We, <laughs> holiday, you know. Uh, so yeah. so how, do, how does that work? I understand that the the LDS own those universities, so they have a stake in it in yeah, some way. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Luckily, no. You are the best <laughs> no. school in the nation. No, no definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. Um, no, we don't have to go to BYU. Like, if you looked at my family, you go look at my house and we have this huge University of Utah sign up above our like garage. <laughs> um, and it's like, I went to Utah State for my mission or before I came out. Um, I'll never go to BYU. None of my family's gone to BYU. I'll never go to BYU. I'm going to BYU. BYU <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. So no, no, we, we don't have to, but a lot of people do, to be fair. Um, yeah. like I, I, I go to BYU um, mm -hmm. when I go home, and and there are a lot of people that do, but you don't have to. Okay. I'm not going to lie, we, we meme about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'd, I'd like to check it out, because it's in, in the sense that, I guess, uh, in the UK, you may be aware that there's quite a lot of uh, Catholic schools, or mm. schools based in denominations like that. Um, and I, I didn't go to a Catholic school, so I've, I've had no experience of sort of denominated schooling. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting that that extends to universities. I know um, for some, you know, Protestant 
evangelical denominations in the United States, there's certain seminaries and things like that that people go to. So I just, yeah, I just wonder, that was one that came up and it did intrigue know, me. It's question. like, you know, a, a uni for members of LDS. Okay. <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, like there's still non-LDS members who go to BYU. So yeah. it's not specific. Yeah. Oh, good question though, good question. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this one, okay, so can, uh, men as part of the church, uh, part of LDS, can they have more than one wife? This is something I've heard. I've heard that Joseph Smith or Fielding Smith, because there's two, and I do get this mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, one of the Joseph Smiths. <laughs> <laughs> I so if I've read this right, had had thirty three wives. And I, 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 that's yeah, okay. So that's a nod. That is yeah. like I was like, this will sound strange to say it like I hope they confirm this because this will be strange. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, no, yeah, 33 wives, but I understand 10. So, to try and break this down, 33 wives, so polygamy, the act of having more than one wife, but mm-hmm. then also 10 of those wives would be they were wives to other men, so would be understand as polyandry. So, yeah, how does that work? So, okay, so 33 wives, 10 of them were also married to someone else. How, how does that sit in doctrine and how does that work? Right. No, great question. So to answer just like the bullet point question as to whether men can have more than one wife, the answer is no. Um, which the okay. confused look on, on <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, yeah, I will explain a little bit. All right. So we believe that God's law is monogamy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one man, one woman. And that's, okay. that's how marriage works. Now, as we look throughout history, um, there are instances, especially in the Old Testament, like Abraham, um, there, there are lots of lots of different situations, mm-hmm. I guess, where polygamy was commanded from the Lord um, for various reasons. And honestly, sometimes the reasons aren't given. But as we look through history, the, the Lord does command polygamy at times. Okay. So at the beginning of of the church um, in in this dispensation, we call it essentially since since Joseph Smith, yeah, um, polygamy was a part of the church for i believe somewhere around 60 years something like that i don't know the exact but something like that um and we believe that at a certain point it was no longer necessary um and the lord that it's it's to be discontinued at that point um so i i realize that's that's rather vague on a lot of points and it's because frankly god doesn't always give all of the reasons for everything um Mm -hmm. but right now it's one man um and one woman is marriage Mm-hmm. But at, at previous times, polygamy was was part of the church, yeah. yeah. Um, right, okay. So I guess... Huh. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, 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 wasn't sure, I didn't know what answer you give me, but that's really interesting. So I guess, what... Is there... Is there any case... How does that work then? So I know it's not... You're saying it's not the case now, it's monogamy now. But obviously that lasted for 60 years. So when that... Was that a... Uh, revelation from the living prophet at that time that it was no longer necessary okay so then yeah what about i guess without being crude what about all the men that are you know out there with like you know 14 wives and it's like this is brilliant much fun and then this and the <laughs> living prophet's like mm, yeah i've got to stop that what do they just divorce all but one or do you know much about that yeah honestly i don't know i'm not yeah. entirely sure yeah. what the situation was yeah yeah, no, I just I just kind of wondered, like, yeah, it's quite an <laughs> yeah, abrupt. Yeah. 30, 33 wives, one wife. It's just, yeah, it's, you know, a big change. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then, 
to answer your question, you know how you said like one woman was married to like two men. Yeah, yeah, ten is the yeah. So a little bit of background to that is in the early days of the church, um, we believe Joseph Smith was still receiving revelation, you know, still receiving knowledge. Right. Um, and they didn't quite have the full understanding of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so like as a church, we believe families can be together forever um, as we're sealed. We call it the sealing. This, this is out with physical boundary of birth, death, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so like we believe a family to be, a, to be together is to be sealed. Mm-hmm. And in the early days of the church, like, you know, like me and my friend, you know, we want to be able to see each other after this life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, huh, I've got a wife and, you know, like we want to be together. So let's seal you know, my friend to my, to my wife and me to my oh, wife. Okay. And so like, we'll still be buddies, but, you know, we'll still be together in this afterlife. Mm-hmm. And then later in the understanding of the church, um, you know, when Joseph Smith received more revelation, they're like, no, like, that's not how it works. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, what are you doing, my friend? <laughs> um, and so it changed. And now it's like, we have more of an understanding that's not how it works. You don't have to have one wife married mm-hmm. or one, one woman married to more than one guy. Mm-hmm. to be able to see each other after this life so it's kind of like right. the origins of that mm-hmm. right okay sure i just thought there was a point it's like yeah see that stop that sure all right okay because i was just thinking that because you know as far as i've known growing up in christianity it's always been one man one wife there's not really been um a deviation on that in that sense right. in scripture so i just thought that, that's quite interesting to me now okay i'm going to move us on to one of i'd argue the more controversial of the list um, yeah. um because I, I don't think we should shy away from that also but uh, obviously being a black man myself i'm also intrigued by history of racism and religions and that's not just you know the lds christianity's had that too but yeah i was reading about this and there's quite often um even up to relatively recent times about, um, I guess, the treatment of uh, Black Africans or African-Americans within the LDS. Yeah, the one I've listed in the outline you guys have is uh, this, the, the idea of, I guess, the curse of Cain per se is what was perceived to be those with darker skin. For anyone not biblically inclined, uh, Cain is a character a character is a person. So <laughs> I'm just used to describing things as characters. But anyway, um, Cain and Abel are two the two children of Adam and Eve, and it is said that um, the Lord bestows favor upon Abel because he he is willing and decides to give all that he has to the Lord, and he gives the best of his harvest, um, you know, the fattest of the cows, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, where as Cain, by contrast, was more concerned with keeping the best for himself and offering, I guess, the second best or, you know, the other parts of his harvest to Christ, but not the, um, he didn't offer God his, his first fruits, which is the point. Um, but uh, God's favour upon Abel led to great jealousy in Cain, and um, the story goes that Cain uh, tricked his brother and led him out into a field by which he then killed him there. So, obviously, 
no no minor thing to make that claim about you know a race of people of course um so as i as i read this sort of idea of black people being lesser and not being allowed to serve in the church um was down to this you know curse of cain idea but then also down to a sense believed among uh you know leadership of lds including your joseph fielding smith your brigham young etc that saw um africans and african-americans as having i guess a lesser and i say lesser intelligence lesser in maturity is more the word i saw in the articles um spiritually to really uh, to receive faith from god but it's how i understood it anyway obviously i'm sure there's a bit more to that um that was then reversed i assume again by revelation from the living prophet um i think in 1978 that sort of yeah. reverted that decision and um, I read that there was in cases that was seen in part of when missionaries from the LDS, maybe a bit like yourselves 50 years ago, were um, venturing into the African subcontinent, mainly Western Africa. Mm. Actually, Nigeria is what was listed, where my dad's from, so special interest. Um, and as, excuse me, as um, Black Africans became converted into the church of LDS, obviously, you know, having, having having leadership or previous ideology that said that they couldn't serve doesn't exactly sit well, um, you know, when missionaries enter the field. So I just wondered if you guys knew much about that, speak to a bit of that um, from your point of view, your understanding. Yeah, yeah. thank you for bringing this up, honestly. Uh, we get this question quite often. Right. So, um, yeah, so begin is no we don't believe people from like an African descent are any less, any sort of lesser than mm -hmm. anyone else. Um, you know, church leadership all throughout the church is uh, all races, uh, all colors. So we actually want to go to the Book of Mormon to just start this off. All right. So for any of you who have a Book of Mormon, Second Nephi <laughs> chapter 26, <laughs> verse uh, 33. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, please, somebody. <laughs> well, fine, fine. Hey, here's what I said. I have my next to me, so so tell me it. Okay. Uh, page 103. 103. For anybody listening, just while, just while Nathan looks it up, um, for anybody who isn't very familiar with the Book of Mormon, we I think we're going to talk about it a bit later, but it's essentially another book of scripture. Um, it's another testament of Jesus Christ, so that's what, that's what we're referencing here. Right. Okay, so 103. So we're in uh, second Nephi 26 area. What verse am I looking for? Uh, 33. 33. And so I'll just give a little bit of context behind this. Um, so a prophet Nephi mm -hmm. is, you know, he's talking to the people, talking about Christ, talking about, you know, many, many other things. Um, and he's talking about like, you know, people coming unto Christ. And, um, you know, talk about, iniquities you know sins of the people and then he lists a bunch and then in verse 33 it picks up and saying who can come unto christ okay uh, and so i'll read i'll read it for us it says for none of these iniquities come of the lord for he doeth that which is good among the children of men and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men and he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. 
And so, okay. like we learn from here, all are able to come unto God, come unto mm-hmm. Christ. Um, and so, like in the early days of the church, um, African Americans were able to be baptized. They're actually able to go on missions. There were some that went on missions. Um, and so, so yeah, that's a little bit of background. And then we also want to talk about the curse of Cain. So, you know, people say, oh, you know, the curse of Cain is so bad, you know, yada, yada, yada. But then we want to compare it to Adam and Eve. So we know about the story of Adam and Eve. You know, they're in the garden, the garden of Eden. And, you know, they went against God's will. They were kicked out of the garden of Eden. And a couple of consequences happened. You know, able to have children. They, um, you know, were experience joy, sadness, pain, sickness, you know, all the emotions. And they're able to have children. And so, and then we also believe that Adam's sins are not upon our head. So, you know, we're not going to be punished for Adam. Mm -hmm. And then we can liken that to the curse of Cain. So in the, in Genesis, actually, chapter four, verse 15. Yeah. Um, Yeah, if you... You're pulling it up. But we read from the King James Bible. So it's a very, very, very old English. <laughs> yeah, honestly, very, very. You have to work at it. No, it's good though. It's quite good. Yeah, honestly, half the time I'm like, hold on, I gotta reread this like five times. <laughs> um, okay, but like I can it's going through the story of Cain and Abel, you know, talking mm-hmm. about Cain yeah, killing yeah. his brother. And God or the Lord is talking to Cain. And he's, you know, he's, so he just goes through and he says, And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should, uh, finding him should kill him. So from the scripture, we, we know God cursed Cain. Um, he put a mark upon him. And this mark was for Cain. It's not so... Cain, and then as we know, as we read throughout the Bible, Cain had, you know, children, and they inherited his, um, the mark. Mm-hmm. But the the curse was only upon Cain. It's kind of like Adam and Eve. The fall and the sins was only upon Adam and Eve's head, but the effects of it continued on. The effects of, um, you know, life, death, um, children bearing, peace, joy, those effects still carry on. And that's same with the mark of Cain. So we're not saying every person is cursed. You know, every African descent um, is cursed of Cain. It's just mm-hmm. the mark carries on. The effect of it carries on, if that makes sense. Okay, so the, the mark carries on. So I guess this is the mark being, uh, I guess, the punishment. So if, if I'm getting, just I'm trying to check that I'm clear on this. So... Punishment, and then even though the punishment is Cain, the mark of that punishment uh, passes to his children, is what you're saying. I'm just checking and getting that right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess, how, how do you then relate that to, how do, how do you relate that to the opinions that like, that have been held within uh, LDS and uh, from members of it, of that being, you know, um, that mark per se, I guess the 
the further effects of that punishment being passed to to black Africans or African Americans? Like, what would be, I guess, the response there? It's a good question. So, very sorry, we're we're pulling up a lot of different a lot of different scriptures here, but essentially. Um, and this this might be of, of interest to anyone who's who's interested, if not even if not like actively looking into the church, anybody who's interested in um, in the church, mm-hmm. there are a series of, of statements. There's 13 of them, and they're known as the Articles of Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's basically honestly, it's kind of like our three minute thing at the beginning. It's just like really quick. Here's here's the base of what we believe. Um, now. I'd like to read number two and number three. So number two says that we believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Um, Just like Elder Holbrook said. So essentially we're all responsible for ourselves and we won't be punished for what other people do. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the third one says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Um, So as far as, as far as individual statements through history, I don't know the, I'm not sure exactly which ones are being referenced. I'm not sure the context, um, but the, the basic doctrine of the church is that everyone is a child of a loving father in heaven and that we are, we're only responsible um, for our own sins, regardless of race, regardless of sexuality, regardless of economic status, anything like that doesn't matter to God. Um, and so I guess that would be the, the very basic doctrine behind everything. Sure. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay, so it seems like that there's not the the doctrinal basis, at least for, you know, like racism in the church, I guess. And, and the research it did, you're asking about the quotes I'm talking about. There's one, well, let's say there's one, it's a list of like 10, <laughs> yeah. 12 or so, but I'll, I'll take the one here from Brigham Young. Um, Brigham Young, for anyone who doesn't know, is one of the living prophets. Past, past living prophet? He's not alive now, yeah. is he? Yes. No. Um, he, was, he was right after Joseph Smith. Okay. So, second so prophet. Mid 1800s or so, at least. Yeah. Um, but there is a quote, there's a quote from him. That, so, this, this has been taken from Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 110. Um, it just says here Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If a white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be. So this is, that's what I'm saying. This is just, <laughs> what you, can imagine, you can imagine what fun I had reading these. Um, but um, that is not the only one. And I don't think there's necessarily the need to go through them all now. But I just, like, I can, as I said at the start, I'll throw in all the links that I read, you know, so people can see that. But I just want to bring it up. Like, I'm not saying I expect you to have all the answers and I'm not saying you speak for it, but I'm just obviously posing it to you as, yeah. as members of the church he was a living prophet for. Is it something you've seen before? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, and to be honest, I, I can't explain that quote. Yeah. Um, we, we do believe that, that doctrines of the church are established by... so. I guess a little bit of background into organization of the church. So there's the prophet mm-hmm. and he has two counselors. And then right. there's a, what we call a quorum of 12 apostles. And these 15 men are who we um, sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators is like the, uh, the official theological sure. term. Basically, mm-hmm. they're, they're the ones who 
receive revelation for the church. Um, now, these are, they're, they're men, um, mm -hmm. and they're men who have opinions about things. <laughs> and in all, yeah, honestly. Yeah, they think, <laughs> honestly, I'm like, that's a good thing. That's a good thing we need yeah, that. <laughs> honestly. And in order for something to be established as doctrine, it's taught by all 15 men um, that, are, that are prophets, mm -hmm. that are receiving revelation from God. Now, that's not to, to say that it's not to discredit anything that Brigham Young said, but I think that should be borne in mind as people read through things like that. Okay. And then something else is like Journal of Discourse is, you know, just like a lot of church history. We don't consider it doctrine. We don't consider, you know, this is this, you know. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so also sometimes you got to look at the dates, you know, uh, when he said it could have been before he was a prophet himself. Um, he could have said things after he was a prophet as well, or like when he was a prophet. So, honestly, not really sure. Can't really answer that one. No, um, no, yeah. I just, I just said, wanted to bring it up is obviously yeah, something okay. I've come across, yeah. and obviously yeah. no, no one would agree now that that's the way that they'd want you know any faith, regardless of you know, what's behind yeah. it, to act in accordance yeah. with. And of course, he was one of the living prophets. And you're right; it could have come before, it could have come after, it could have come during. But it's, I think, important yeah. to know because it's not—it's right. not just him, I should say, on that side. It's Joseph Smith, Fielding Smith, Brigham Young. Yeah, seems to be a yeah. number that have made comments of that ilk. And you know, some yeah, are even quite yeah. recent. Yeah, we also got to keep in mind, like the era. Um, I actually didn't know this. I was reading about it more today, but what I think is the 18 somethings where legally a man and a African descent or like a white and African descent, mm -hmm. they couldn't be married legally. I didn't know that. So yeah, I don't know. There's you know yeah. there's a whole, know whole realm of whole yeah, realm I was surprised. and laws that you know segregation and you know bans mm -hmm. intermarrying. I, I'm I'm aware of that. I just kind of thought I was surprised this so yeah. as I said I'm not discounting the fact that in lots of faiths and lots of social groups and lot of whatever that that has been there it's just you know of course that's the conversation we're having so i brought it up but just fine um yeah. something i thought i'd put to you guys Here, no, and, and thank you for that as well we, but yeah. just before we move on we really do appreciate things like that because for anyone even just seeking an honest education you need to you need to address everything you can't yeah. just address Caffeine and BYU, you know. So thank you for bringing stuff like that. We appreciate it. Yeah, like believe me, like honestly, we were glad these are being brought up mm -hmm. instead of you know my friends, dog, cat, friends, uncle <laughs> heard this. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and then of course, like whatever we say is not official church. Yeah. All right. Well, this this one is, is I guess more about the history and origin story of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And it's that the Book of Mormon has not been proved by archeology. span Now, I'm sure you've heard this one before. Um, and there's lots of ways that this could be unpacked. <laughs> from, from the research I did, there seems to be quite a lot um, to say about this argument in, in either sense. But I guess when this question comes up, what, what's the immediate response? What's the immediate not quite default, but what's your first fault when someone brings this up? Honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is my grandpa. Okay. Uh, so my grandpa was in, so he, you know, was a businessman. And then eventually, you know, he retired. And he's like, you know, I love the Book of Mormon. 
Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, you know, like I want to go see. I'm gonna go and try and prove where it was, um, like the locations of it. Mm-hmm. The church doesn't have an official stance. It's just like you know the Americas. It's yes. like you know I want to prove. <laughs> I want to no, prove. I, I did read a bit less. It seems it seems relatively big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very, very big. The Americas <laughs> is a rather large part of the world. <laughs> so they say South America, North America, you know, just the Americas. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandpa's like, you know, I want to go, I want to go prove it. Uh, and so he, want, he went on many expeditions and he got to see a lot of amazing things. Got to see um, a lot of really cool artifacts, mm-hmm. a lot of cool like temples. Um, article you know like different things like it's actually pretty cool there's a story where in the book of mormon it describes cities like location mm-hmm. of cities like major yeah. cities and he's like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna try and see this if this is true mm-hmm. and he would you know find location on one city he think okay i think this is where the city is and he's like okay the, the city from the book of mormon describes it's this way mm-hmm. and this far he's like i'd go there and it was there and so, and then there's also like many other stories he has, of, um, just like finding things cool, like really cool things. Um, let's see, is it the Yucatan? I think it might be the Yucatan Peninsula. Peninsula. Yeah. There's a temple. There's a temple down there that that has like kind of Christian related things. Okay. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Is it, is it's there, down in Cancun. Yeah, not far from Cancun. I've read, I've read a little bit mm. about it. I guess before before I bring that up, is is there any particular city that people like that is that was referenced in the Book of Mormon and you know of its scripture of its doctrine that still stands today? Like the one that's a functioning you know modern city that people go people could go visit themselves. Not that we're aware of. There's nothing that's like confirmed, like Zarahemla equals Mexico City. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Not, uh, from no. some of the research I did, that's what that's what I was saying. It's kind of vague. There was the Americas. And I guess yeah. the question I do have for you actually is why the prevalence of Utah and Salt Lake City in particular? Because as, as I understand it, Joseph Smith, I don't know if he was from, but anyway, he lived in New York. And if I understand mm-hmm. this, Somewhere between Palmyra and Manchester, New York, yeah. the plates were said to be found. So I'm always intrigued about the the presence, the epicenter of Utah, you know, they yeah. weren't found there. Yeah, no, good question. So in the early days of the church, um, it really did start in, in like the New York area, because that's where Joseph Smith lived. Um, now, as as this new religion was was coming, Mm-hmm. um people didn't like that <laughs> they, they weren't big fans and so yeah honest that's that's about how it goes with new religions i guess but um as the church was was kind of gaining some momentum the mm-hmm. saints were were driven out of cities um they were rejected there was actually um a government like order in in mm-hmm. one state where you could you could kill mormons as they were called then so people were they were rejected and they were just driven from place to place Mm-hmm. Um, and they just continued to be driven west, seeking safety. They weren't trying to like build an empire, right? They're just trying to not get killed by everybody. Mm-hmm. And so they just continued west um, under what we believe to be the guidance of God. And Salt Lake City ultimately is is where where they set up shop. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. That, 
that gives another bit of reference because at yeah. the Holbrook and prepping for this interview, I did ask you is I've heard briefly mentioned that to Mormons in that particular term could be seen as derogatory to some, but I think this is the instance why because of how it was used in the past. Mm. Have I got that right? Yeah. No, I just wanted to clear that up because that's you know, I think very common uh, speech for members yeah. of Latter Day Saints, and I just didn't realise up until now that. Uh, it was considered that way so you know good to know that it's, it's important to know that all right part two coming up all right okay um so let me see. This is so it's a nice meaty list that I got here. I'm glad that people got yeah, it. Yeah, this is pretty good. This is um, very excited. But this one, okay, so this is, you know, so the question is, uh, do Latter-day Saints believe and consider the Book of Mormon as scripture? And uh, saying quotes comparable to the Bible, because I believe that's what uh, the copy you gave me does state. But what would you say to that? Um, I would say yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. And I guess this is, this is, I guess, my question, because I was struck when I read that. And to say mm -hmm. why is because of... And in my head, they call this pedantic or, you know, based on my background in linguistics and languages. But if you say something is comparable to something else, that must, in my head, mean that it is seen as different. It must it must be different to the extent that it can be compared. So right. in that sense, I can't say that I'm going to compare apples to oranges if I don't consider apples and oranges to not be the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you catch my drift. So I guess, yeah, that makes good how sense. do you see that? Yeah, so essentially, we believe that the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. are each testaments of Jesus Christ. So in that sense, apples and oranges are both fruit. All mm -hmm. three of these books are all testaments of Jesus Christ. Right. Now, the primary difference is location, um, as we've gone into pretty pretty yeah, thoroughly. The Americas, yeah. Um, so the, the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the teachings are the same. Um, it expounds on certain things, but the, the doctrines taught are the same. Um, the difference where, where they would be compared is, is primarily location, honestly. Um, just right. where they take place and the different histories that are contained therein. Yeah. Right. And the different prophets who wrote the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. the different stories. Okay, so... I guess, so Christians, wherever they find themselves in the world, they read the Bible and see that it is set in the Near and Middle East, you know, in the Mediterranean, and around Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, modern-day Iraq, etc., Mesopotamia. So given given all of that, and given you know, all the cities that still exist today, given all the evidence, self-evidence that the Bible gives for its existence, and its intro references, you know, David and Moses and other um, men of Christianity being a precursor to Jesus, who would be the incarnate God in full form. So I guess in full form and, and human and, and both son of man and son of God, as Christians would view it. So I guess well, what I'm saying is that if, if Christians are hearing this and they hear you say that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Christ, but, and they were to argue that um, given the Bible quite clearly states I think it's in Deuteronomy and John, I think possibly also in Isaiah, that there's to be no additions or 
yeah, taking away of the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. So I guess, how do you reconcile the question if someone was to say, we have the Bible, why do we need the Book of Mormon? Like, I assume you obviously believe it's absolutely essential. So what is it that the, the Bible is missing, so to speak, to you? That's a wonderful question. I think I think he's looking something. Is it okay if I if I go while you look stuff up? Yeah, yeah, okay. So my response, and again, as as missionaries, we're um, we're people. It's like we, we might have mm -hmm. different responses here. Sure. But my response to that would be first, um, as far as the scriptures in the Bible go, um, it's Deuteronomy. I, I believe Revelations as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it, yeah. is, it is in several different places, and I would. I would say it's important to understand the makeup of the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. So the Bible in today's world, we recognize that as, as one book essentially, but the Bible was, it covers a history of thousands of years. So mm -hmm. for instance, if we look at revelation, right, this is, this is John um, in the Isle of Patmos receiving revelation. Yes. And we have this, this whole book of revelation and, um, it has a lot of different truths contained in it. It talks about the heavens, it talks about God. And somewhere near the end, he says, don't add to or take away from this. Yeah. But as, as he was writing this, um, he wasn't writing at the back of our modern day Bible. He was writing at the end of his revelation that he, he'd received. And so it's not necessarily to say there will never be any more scripture aside from the Bible. It's the individual authors saying, I have received this revelation and we shouldn't alter this piece because this mm -hmm. is. Um, but that's not to say that God will never speak again. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, OK, I understand where you're coming from. I guess my thought to that was uh, in the Book of Mormon itself when I was giving it a read. I think it's in the introduction. I feel like a lot of people are going to see a lot of like page flicking, but I think it's important. <laughs> that, um things are said from evidence rather than from, you know, hopeful statement. But I'm just interested here, so if I was to read one of the first, you know, the introduction, you know, preface pages of the Book of Mormon, I think I've got at least two or three uh, highlights of the word abridgment. So the, the act of making something shorter, and it's not just there in other aspects, other parts of the Book of Mormon, there's you know, abridgment, so it's, you know, stated, some of the articles I read stated that there's quite a lot of additions additions or like you know um of i think it's of mormon and then later in the book of moroni that's said to be you know passing down from uh, father to son and the son then adds his own thoughts and comments and that becomes a book so I, yeah I, I was struck by this sort of quite open sense of adding the notion that things have been added or things have been shortened like it's, so I take it, is there like a, ready to say a full unredacted version of the Book of Mormon as well? Or, you know, how does that work? Um, so the, the short answer would be no. Okay. Because the, when the abridgments were made, it was, it was thousands of years ago, right? When, when Mormon and Moroni were actually putting the book together. Mm -hmm. um, and so their job was, they were prophets, but they're also historians. And so they took these records that had been handed down from for generated. The book starts 600 years before Christ, and they live mm -hmm. about 400 years after after Christ. Yes. And so they're taking about a thousand years of of records, and they they choose the parts as prophets by by the 
by the inspiration of God. They choose the parts that are necessary for people to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the unredacted version was, was a thing, but it was a thing mm -hmm. about 400 AD and, and yeah. not, not really in what we know as the Book of Mormon. And like came all right. of records. <laughs> yeah, like lots and lots. Yeah. Lots, like too many to keep track of. Okay, uh, I can I can I can see where you're coming at, um, from my own Christian perspective and background in the sense that, uh, as I'm just reading it myself these days, so the Book of Samuel documents a lot of, um, David's life and his kingdom and Saul and you know everything throughout the Davidic covenant and the reigns of the kings and the monarchies um, of Israel and of Judah, and then I guess uh, First and Second Chronicles detail the same time period but with um i say a different slant loosely but they are done in, in more of a sense of a historical record they are much more concerned with the particularities of when things happened and the particulars of how they happened and um, but not necessarily with um, some of the particular people they don't spend as much time on certain um aspects of the stories of david and solomon as they do and Samuel, despite them all being there, so I, I can I can see where that goes. It's a fair point, though, because obviously you read abridgment, and you kind of go, "Well, where is the full version?" I did, <laughs> and then following on from that, you said how the Book of Mormon is from 600 BC to about 400 AD, which is what I saw. So, if I understand it, you know, 420 or so AD, there is the burying of the plates, the Reformed Egyptian plates you know, into the ground to which, you know, in 1820 is then uh, divinely revealed to Joseph Smith, by which he goes and, what's the word, unearths the plates, you know, refines yeah. the plate. So what is happening in between here? So it's quite, a, it's obviously quite a jump in a timeline. So <laughs> yeah. what what is understood to be happening? Because there's not really any record of that. So what's understood to be happening there? Yeah. And so we call that the great apostasy, that time period. Okay. Um, so to begin of why um, Moroni did bury the plates mm -hmm. is because there was a lot of wickedness in the land. Uh, Book of Mormon talks about it, wars, two nations, yeah. two great nations battling against each other, the downfall of one of the nations. And, you know, he's the last, one of the last Christians last follower of Christ to live is like, you know, if I carry around these plates with me anymore, they're just going to get destroyed. And so I'm going to bury them. And then I know God is going to reveal them at a later time. So he buries them. And then we're, I mean, we're not sure what happened to him, but we do know that one of the nations, the, the Christian following nation does fall. And so we call this the great apostasy where pretty much where we believe that nobody had the had direct communication with God, that they, um, like just spiritual darkness is what we call mm -hmm. it. So, um, you know, like nations, wars, so. And I, I suppose the reason for 1820, it's a, a valid question. I, I asked it as well, actually. A lot of people see missionaries and they're like, they know everything and they, and they must believe. But I, I had a stage where I was, it's not like I was doubting, right? But I wondered the same. I'm like, why, why would a loving, a loving father in heaven, right? Why would he let 1500 years of, of people go by with nothing? 
Mm-hmm. And to be honest, the answer is that God understands how the world works. Um, and if we if we look at 1820, right? Um, at that period of time in the United States, it was it was the only place in the world that had complete religious freedom, like written into a constitution. You you can believe what you want. And if if the Book of Mormon, if the plates, I suppose, had been revealed any earlier, they would have been revealed to a a place that did not have the freedom to believe in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense for God to bring forth his gospel to a, a people who, who couldn't practice it. Does that kind of make sense? It, it does, I guess. Right. I guess my point of uh, a fair rebuttal, I guess, is that but then the revolution, like Jesus Christ and his very existence on earth and the revealing of that gospel through his life. So if to be believed between you know, zero and 30, 33 AD or so, so, but then the early church is set up. So then they're set up in oppressive Roman empire and they're very, very much, you can read for acts about all the ways in which um, members of the early church go through martyrdom, which they do. And, Obviously, in some parts of the world today, that's still the case. But I guess my point, though, is that uh, I would argue the gospel was revealed in, in that time. Obviously, the early church does form, and it does actually, it's said to actually flourish under the oppression. And uh, Christians, we'd often say that um, God's power is all the more seen in our weakness. That's not, it's not to say that people wanted the oppression or, you know, religious um, suppression to happen, but it, the church did grow, and I guess I would even point to the modern example of something like that, particularly uh, maybe it's China, uh, where I spent 10 months myself, and you know, I didn't find a church for seven months, but the church at the end of the time was very much alive, and mm-hmm. you know, whether it's through house churches, whether it's through hush-hush meetings or things of the like, but the church, the church did grow, the church did certainly grow, both in, you know, um, early AD, but also still now. It's the, like, I, I know, I hear you. I'm just making that point. Um, the Bible and the growth of the church certainly yeah. happened, and some would maybe argue all the more in religious oppression, because if nothing else, they were they were forced to put the colors to the mast of what they believed. You know, and in some ways, if you're in a religiously free place, it could be argued that you're more like there's a slight chance that you maybe you may become I don't know if as soft is the right word, but do you know what I mean? you're never really put in the position of having to to battle for it. You, you know, Peter says in First Peter that you should uh, give it be able to give an answer to those that ask you about the validity of your faith. Obviously heavy paraphrase, but the gist is there. So I mean do you, I guess by by that same sort of conundrum flipped in its head, would you say that there is evidence for the fact that you do need to even under testing obviously describe your faith talk about your faith because i think in that and understanding what you believe and sharing with others you're strengthened i think i would say i would say absolutely i think you do i think that god has a plan and an essential part of our purpose in life is to be tested um and it would really defeat the purpose of life if, if everything was smooth. It's it's very it's very certainly true. Um, so yes, I, I would agree with that. As far as I guess back to the original question, yeah. 
Um, as far as the timing of, of 1820, why, why 1820? Um, I think looking at, at histories provides us context, it provides us ideas, but ultimately, as I suppose has been the, the answer to a lot of the questions that have been asked thus far, we don't, we don't really know um, the mind of God and, and we don't understand his timing, but we trust that he, he brought it forth when it was when it was right when it was proper um and for for those who lived in the 1500 years in between um they're no less loved they're no less cared for just like the scripture you referenced earlier that all are invited to come unto christ mm -hmm. and and we believe that god simply has a plan for everyone um and and he understands things that we don't he has opportunities in store that we're not aware of um i guess that would be that would be my final answer yeah I mean, right. like God doesn't just leave those people out to dry. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe in this life after they'll have the opportunity to learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, to to draw near to God ultimately. So, mm -hmm. all right, okay. Uh, let's see the next point. Slowly getting towards the end of this list has been really good so far. So I'm, I'm glad that we're taking the time to actually sit down with these things rather than gloss over them. Um, but yeah, uh, from some of the, uh, the reading I did online, um, there seems to be quite a distinction that members of the LDS would see that you are saved, in this case, all for salvation um, by God through your works and not through grace alone. So that's, that's a statement, but uh, to give the context to the listener and um, Christianity is said that um, Salvation is a gift from God, um, and you can't do anything to earn it. We are all sinners who are in need um, of saving to be reconciled to God. There's no way we can we can earn that for ourselves. And it's often hotly, hotly debated in the book of James, um, and people often use the book of James as a reference for the conversation between grace and works. So we, shall we say, so grace being what um, God gives you and works being what human beings can do or actually do so it would be said that from the christian perspective that you are you are gifted grace by god and from that grace that is the, the outpouring of your grace is to uh, live your life in a way pleasing to god and that that will show up in works but it is not it's not the basis for um entry to heaven or presence with god that is <coughs> excuse me it's a free gift given to you by god you can't earn that is sort of the perspective yeah. I have on it. So how would you guys see that? Yeah, that's that's a wonderful question. So yeah, we do believe we're saved. Oh. Sorry, say that again. I think the audio went a bit funny we there. We believe. Oh, are you frozen? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> just try, just yes. try it again. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> Send it one more time. Yeah, yeah, so we do believe we are saved by grace. Um, and then works as well. So you talked about salvation. Mm -hmm. So we do believe everyone gains salvation, but we believe, but we believe in exaltation as yes. well. Okay. So salvation is a free gift to everyone, mm -hmm. um, you know, no matter what. And then exaltation is for people by their works, um, by you know following God, doing what He wants us to do. Do you have a scripture? Yeah, if, if I may share share one verse from the Book of Mormon. Um, Second Nephi, again, it's our favorite book today. But <laughs> um, so this, it's a, a pretty, 
it's a pretty widely um, referenced scripture. I again, it's it's another one that people like to ask us about, and and it's very valid. But this comes from Second Nephi chapter twenty-five, and it's verse twenty-three, um, page ninety-nine. If you're turning there, but um, once again, this is the prophet Nephi, and he's mm-hmm. he's teaching about this very same topic. Um, he teaches about the sacrifice of the Messiah, about Jesus Christ, about grace, about different things like that. And in verse 23, he says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Um, yeah. Now that after that's all the, we can do part is statement. That, that, that's <laughs> I thought that highlighted to him, like, that's the one. no yeah for sure and it's a very important topic to go into um first of all you did did a very good job of of explaining and setting out what grace is that it's a gift from god that it's it's free it's from him we don't we don't earn grace right Mm -hmm. um now we believe fundamentally that our purpose in being here is to return to live with god um we believe that it is our purpose to learn and to grow and to become like our Savior, to become like Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came, he, he died for us, and he can now offer us this grace. But were he to just force it on us, essentially, were, were, were everyone to just be accepted and, and given this grace, it would kind of defeat the purpose of things. Because we, we could have just stayed with God. There's no point in coming here. But we believe that Jesus Christ has essentially set the terms. He set the conditions. And he's asked us to do certain things. He's asked us to have faith in him, to repent, to be baptized, and to receive the the Holy Ghost, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we follow his gospel, as we act um, in accordance with his teachings, it's with those actions of faith that we allow his grace into our lives. Um, so we do believe that it is grace that saves us, but essentially we need to, we need to allow his grace in. We, we need to, to embrace the gift that he, he does want to give us. Okay. So something I like to say, mm-hmm. is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just trying to, just for my own sake and for the listener, just trying to check that again, I've just got you clear. So, um, grace given to you by God. However, you believe that the actions that like the actions taken in line with the Bible and living the way the Bible calls you to, the Book of Mormon calls you to, um, I guess, as an answer to this, allows allows the grace to do what it came to do to to actually bring that salvation. Have I got that right? Oh, I understand it. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to learn about this as well. But. I'd say I'd say bring that exaltation instead of salvation. Okay, so that would be a good a good one to explain because exaltation is not something that features in christianity i think in i think that right. exists in the way that you're using it and um, because one of the other yeah. maps to sorry to jump the gun a little bit but the same word <laughs> ex- exalted is used in this uh last myth that i've got here so it says that marriage is necessary to be exalted that's you know that and i i've wrote here that is dash that is to become a god that's the what I've understood of exaltation that comes yeah. from the concept that members of the LDS believe that I guess mankind, humankind can become gods. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. yes. Okay. 
So they can essentially become yeah, that's correct. Yeah. exactly the same as God or exactly the same as Jesus. Have I got that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As so yeah, we do believe we can become as gods ourselves. Okay. As we do, you know, keep the commandments, um, keep the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and just continue on, continue to live in that your whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, so and then to be married as well to have like an eternal marriage so okay so uh, a few offshoot questions from that it's just it's a really intriguing concept it's yeah, like, yeah. As I said, it's not something yeah. i grew up knowing at all so yeah. then so that that last bit there was about marriage being necessary to be exalted or that is to become um a god so mm -hmm. then what's the what's the deal with with us singletons what, what do single people do they just yeah we're all single right now so uh, so, so what happens there yeah um like you said people God, will die single. yeah mm -hmm. people sure. will die single it's you know it's a fact um and so that's when it comes into like after this life so we call it the millennium Okay. And Jesus Christ will come back to the earth um, where you'll have the opportunity to be married, to, you know, have a spouse, to live with them and to have the opportunity uh -huh. to be exalted. So it's not just like you, you're on this earth and you're not married, you know, tough luck. <laughs> it's right, like, okay. like God is a loving God. He'll give yeah. you a chance if you don't have the chance on this earth. Okay. That, that's, that's really interesting. That, that does differ quite a lot from Christianity in the sense that marriage marriages seem to be the physical representation of the relationship God has with the people so God being uh, the groom and the church i.e all, all Christians being the bridegroom the bride so uh, you know all, one of the themes of revelation is that uh, the second coming of Christ and it's where um, that marriage of God to his people will be made and they will be present with him you know the sense of heaven heaven quote unquote being achieved but that's not that's uh, that holds no bearing on whether someone is married or single and um, you know in, in life in physical life uh, on earth like it's actually seen marriage as, as Paul writes I think in Colossians this is I'm always a bit always a bit broken. I know it I know it's there without knowing the exact book to, book it's been but I have read and wrote on it but um Paul is very clear to say that um one can be married and one can also be single but that changes nothing obviously the obvious example of Jesus being single and Paul being single himself so I guess it is is to be married I say really so important. I don't want to sounds like I don't care about marriage, but I'm I'm very aware of the fact that biblically at least there's not a mandate that there is a separate outcome for those who are married and a separate outcome for those who are single. So I think I think there is a difference, but it's really interesting. It's, I did not know that was a thing um, for the Church yeah. of LDS. So I'm just really interested in that. So <laughs> absolutely. So we believe there's there's something. It's it's a whole nother it, well i suppose yeah, we don't have enough time to talk but for anyone yeah. who listens right yeah for for um for anyone who's listening there's 
there's a proclamation that was made by it's, we call it the first presidency so essentially the um the prophet and his two counselors and then along with the quorum of the 12 apostles they released something called the family a proclamation to the world um now this is we believe to be doctrinal um and it states that the family is the fundamental unit where we can learn the gospel and grow and mature spiritually physically emotionally in every way um and we believe that the family is very very central to god's plan um mm -hmm. really his okay. his entire purpose is to to bring us to be with our families for all eternity okay and so this is where the focus on marriage comes from because in order to have um what we believe to be god's idea of a family it, it mm -hmm. is between a husband and a wife um with that are that are wedded and their children yes yeah, so that so, is very similar yeah, to the, exactly. the christian perspective i.e that a family is traditionally and you know, biblically seen as a husband and a wife and her kids okay so that is right. a similarity but i guess it's it's the i say it's the i say the other part of it so like whilst I understand it, that's obviously the biblical view on what a family is, but I don't know if there's the same, I guess, onus or emphasis on the family being integral to such a point that, again, it's a bit like my question with singleness, what, what about those who grow up to, to not, or even what's the, is there anything said about those that are married but do not have children? that's also a choice some people make because they would essentially be married but they wouldn't by that definition be a family and that they don't have children but they still be together right. they still be married mm -hmm, yeah i'd say it doesn't really differ because like there's okay. members of the church who can't have a family themselves yeah um you know through many different reasons and so i would say it really doesn't make a difference if mm -hmm. um, I mean, like the church encourages to have kids if you can, mm -hmm. but if not, it's like, it's understandable. Okay. So it's, it's not like, you know, someone, you know, a couple have been married four five, six, seven years and they've still not had kids and there's not people in the church going, mm, see them over there. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the children? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. And if they are saying that, they're, they're not. It's, it's not, it's me. not, it's not <laughs> a deal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. That's that's not a thing. Good question, though. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and one, I think one possible point that I missed, one, one a particular friend of mine wanted me to ask you both, is that um, so the, the Church of Latter-day Saints commonly refer to themselves as Christians. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you both have referred to yourselves as Christians to me as well. So in that way, one, one question that, that come up for me is who do you believe Jesus Christ to be? Because I, I understood from some of the reading that I had that Jesus Christ um, and the Church of Latter-day Saints is understood to be the Son of God, excuse me, if I've got this right, not to be part of the Trinity. And there's, there's not a belief in a Trinity. So again, for context, Christians believe that there is um, God, Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. So they, they, are, they are the holy triune uh, one and three three and one they're understood they're understood you can't you can't break one off from the other they exist in that form and um, 
and that Jesus sent his son and when Jesus resurrected and uh, ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit was given to his followers to have um, to have the Holy Spirit with them as a conscience and as a reminder of living a life of uh, living a life in Christ. But that's that's not the case in the LDS. I'm just explaining that from my background and context. So how how do you view Jesus Christ? Essentially, is my question. Wonderful. Um, yes. So we do not believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Godhead. Okay. So the Godhead is God the Father, his son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. So the, the names of the three are the same. Right. The the difference between the Godhead and the Trinity is that the Godhead is three separate beings. Okay. God is is the father of our spirits, and he is the father of Jesus Christ's spirit as well. We believe that that we are all brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. including Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, now what that, that's not to say that we're we're the same as Jesus Christ. What makes him different is that he is also physically the son of God. Um, we believe in, in a very um, similar, I, I, the same um, story with, with Mary and Joseph um, and the, the Virgin Mary bearing a son. Um, so Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of the father, the only physical son of God. Mm-hmm. And so we believe that, I, to, to come back and answer your question, Jesus Christ to us is the son of God. He is our connection to the father. And because of his death, because of the sacrifice, which he made for us, he is the one who offers us the grace of God to allow us to return to live with him. Okay. Great. He's like okay. mediator between us and God. The intermediary. Okay. So by that same token, I guess, um, you know, Jesus makes many claims himself about himself in the gospels. Uh, one of which being, you know, the way, the truth, and the life, and only through him may uh, those those um, speak to the Father, be with the Father. So, I guess in that way, so so that is, you know, I I guess one one definition of atonement in the Bible, the being a, the idea of being at one with that uh, with God, being in right relationship. So it, I guess not to do too many circles, but it makes me think of you know the sort of grace works argument and that so that's why i asked you about it because then what what role does the works have to you like other works oh if, if it was if i was to set it on a ratio of 50 50 and um, you know between works or between grace you know god's gift by sacrificing his son jesus on the cross and then works the things that we do and in, in line with how the bible calls us to live as far as as Christians are concerned, it's 100% grace, but by that same grace, you will act, you'll act on that grace, um, and from a place of thankfulness for what has happened to do, to do these works, and then the Lord's strength, and you know, despite being sinners, we endeavor to do them, although we stumble and fail, that's what that grace is for, it allows us to be reconciled to God to go again, so is that the same in the church building? So I'm intrigued by the sort of emphasis of works that I've understood from the reading I've seen and done. I'd say something to like a quote I like is we're saved by grace, but then we're also changed by grace. You know, we get people saying like, are you saved by grace? 
And then, yeah, but how are you changed by grace? Mm-hmm. So I'd say grace does change us. It prompts us to act because if you do love God, you are changed, you know, spiritually. You want to act. You want to do everything you can to come closer to him. Mm-hmm. Um, what results in, um, in works, in doing, in action, in thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, words. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, cool. no, well said. That's good. Cool. Just wanted to kind of lay that all on the table for everyone. To yeah, hear. no, Thank that's, you good. that's good. So much for that. That's, uh, I can understand if it's been quite a lot of wading through things, but I wanted to make sure that this was done thoroughly because uh, yeah. I don't know how many times you guys have been on podcasts or, you know, other Mormon mysteries have come on podcasts, but it's probably not that common. And I kind of think that. Yeah. If we're going to do this and i really think that it's it's fair to do it right um yeah thank absolutely you. um yes uh the sort of last part of this is i wanted to focus on yourselves actually um, and <laughs> feel free to do so a bit myself but i i i understand it from talking to people that there is a consensus that um more in missionaries missionaries of the lds like in 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 character are very much missionaries like you know it is the way they are known the way they're understood. I, I don't know if I'll put the video feed of this on YouTube I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do that but I should describe for for anyone who cannot see these two handsome gents that they are fully decked out um head to toe this, this is Sunday best behavior and it is you know, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon we have you know, dress yeah, shirts, we have buttons ties we have cardigans we have everything i am the contrast in a t-shirt it's <laughs> a nice t-shirt then, mate. Right, don't, don't gun yourself down now and honestly <laughs> I'd, I'd be wearing a t-shirt if i was home right now as well so <laughs> but my point being is there there's an understanding that there is a there's a look to this there is there is a way people expect to find you out in the street or on official business whether it's with the name badges whether it's with the ties whether it's with like I guess the relatively clean cut facial hair, demeanor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I guess my question is, like, what's more? What are you guys like when this when this isn't all happening? I understand, like, how missionary missionary work is a year, two years of life, or how long? Two did you years. Do two two years? years for men, eighteen months for women. Okay. Now, why the difference? Do you know? No idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. But, um. So then you know what we what did you guys do before this uh, before your missionary trip and what do you expect to do after honestly before this i would not be wearing a white shirt right now <laughs> i would not be wearing a white shirt or a tie uh, my mom actually would refuse to buy me white shirts there uh, cause i just ruined them too quickly so <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay. uh, yeah let's see before my mission Let's see. I loved camping. I love just being outside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, me and my pops, we did a lot of dirt biking. I was on like a high school mountain bike team. I love to ski. I love snow. <laughs> um, you know, I love swimming. Honestly, I love just being outside. Um, Scotland should be perfect then. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> mountains. We've got we've got lots of bends, lots of mountains streams skiing we've got all you could wish for as far as outdoors goes honestly yeah yeah so uh, honestly like i love being outside i love camping i love you know sleeping in hammocks uh, off-roading 
Like I loved all of that stuff. Comics. What a nice word. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I don't, I don't make it funny. I'm just thinking he thinks there's lots of hammocks going around in Scotland. I just, I feel obliged <laughs> to tell him that he will be sorely mistaken. <laughs> so yeah, I, do, I don't know when I've seen a hammock around here, but no, fair enough. Um, how about yourself, Elder Macintosh? Yeah, I, um, I was kind of a nerd. I'm not gonna lie. I really, I really like school. Um, <laughs> I, I love English. I love English. So I liked writing. I liked reading. Um, I was, I got into poetry toward the end. Don't tell anybody that. Oh, yes. I'm not enough. But I like sports a lot as well. Um, I played basketball and I played baseball. Baseball was my my favorite. I really like baseball. But then lots of lots of outside outside time with the family. Um, I'm from Cheyenne, Wyoming, mm-hmm. which is about an hour and a half north of Rocky Mountain National Park, yeah, which enough. is the finest place in the entire world. <laughs> um, we would. We would go down there in, oh, just like in the dark, right? And we would hike to a peak for like a sunrise. Um, so I loved, I loved spending time in the mountains, spending time outside. But it's kind of, kind of me. All right. What do you do? What do I do? What do I do? Yeah. Well, yeah, no. Um, for me, it was sports-wise. I mean, growing up, it was football. I mean, it's still football. I mean. I don't play much actively now. I'm going to say football. I'm going to just set this out. It is football. I've, this soccer, whatever's gone on. <laughs> yeah. where, you know, a bit like earlier, whatever you're doing, that needs to stop. It's football. But <laughs> I, 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 by that same token, I'm a, large, I'm a very big Arsenal fan. Uh, if, you, if you know this team down in London. Um, it's so weird. Sorry, I'm still trying to compute in my head that people do. They'll say Arsenal's a soccer team and that just kind of kind of gets me a bit <laughs> but <laughs> no but my, my sport was football to play and it still is my sport to watch and um, other than that there wasn't really really play many sports I mean you know for me growing up it was quite a lot of reading writing like a bit, a bit like yourself Elder Macintosh like I did I did like school uh, it's not even about being a nerd I have, I have no shame with it if someone asks me like I really enjoyed the subjects I did it and quite big into music and um, I'm a drummer I'm a singer play in a jazz band and um, so oh, nice. mu- music is normally where you find me and um, but I also do writing have a blog do poetry all of that so I guess I kind of it's one of those things where I'm kind of deceptively kind of creative and I don't I didn't think about that much growing up I just kind of thought I just did what I had to do but um, you know at this age now I mean I'm 22 I find that it does it's not a week that doesn't go by there's not a week that goes by without me thinking okay am I going to write something or play some music or you know the podcast and all sorts came out of that sort of just desire to keep creating things that I was interested in and namely also things I didn't think I was seeing that much of um so I was always good um yeah but I let, let me think what, what's the what's the most interesting thing you found about being in Scotland you guys, how long have you guys been here for reference? A touch over a year and a half, about nineteen months or so. Yeah, I'm just over a year. Just so. over a year. So, so have you had? I know it's been COVID, but have you had time to take many holidays, go and see other parts of the country? Yeah, I love the castles. Honestly, um, one of my favorite things is going to go see the castles. Mm-hmm. Going to have you know sword stick fights inside the castles. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> pretend they were actually like knights and battling for the castle. Um, I don't know if you, okay. know if you played Capture the Flag in Slane's Castle in Aberdeen. We did that, oh. and it's it's. I mean, they were like we had like backpacks or whatever, but we it was <laughs> so much fun. It's incredible. All right. Okay. Have you what, have you been to Stirling Castle or Edinburgh Castle? The two of the famous ones. Nah, the ones oh. I've been to are the ones in Northern Ireland or in the Republic in Northern Ireland. I lived in Northern Northern Ireland for about three months. Okay. And. So we, we got to go see some cool castles up there. They might have some nice castles, but it's not Stirling Castle. And it's, it's not, it's not Stirling. You're missing out, is all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen, so I've gone to Edinburgh Castle, and it's insane. It's so mm-hmm. cool. And then, um, not not Stirling. But I mean, I, I just, yeah. they're, they're both brilliant places, and I implore you to go. I'm glad you went to Edinburgh Castle. It's about... The best thing in the second best city in Scotland because I'm biased. Glasgow's better, and of course, yeah, I yeah. won't hear anything about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're enjoying it here. I guess. Oh, I guess. I guess. What do you think you guys would be doing, doing after all this? I mean, in the sense, you know, two years of your life spent in another part of the world, you know, getting used to that culture, exploring things there, and then I imagine you return to. Salt Lake and to uh, Cheyenne, respectively. So, what happens then? Is it just you know going to uni, looking for work, you know, or is there more, I guess, service to the church that would be done when you return? Yeah. So for me, first is not going to be by you. I'm not going to be by you. Okay. Um, I'll go to uni. Um, I should be studying like mechanical engineering. Oh yes. So. Um, I actually came to, I went to uni first semester before I came, came over to Scotland. So I'll just continue my education. Um, I hopefully find a, find a job. Um, let's see, I'll, you know, I'll continue like dirt biking, mountain biking, skiing, mm-hmm. camping. I'll continue a lot of the hobbies I did it. Mm-hmm. I did before I came out. Uh, and it's just kind of just having fun, living life, traveling, mm-hmm. exploring. So, Yeah. Is, is there a certain sense that this is just interesting you said that you did one semester before um, serving as a missionary so is, is there a particular uh, age at which uh, men and women are expected to go on mission or is it just in an age range or just whenever you want? Age range well there's a couple yeah so 18 to I believe 26 is the range for for males um, people generally go relatively early. Mm-hmm. Um, I left right out of high school. You left after a semester, mm-hmm. but you can leave. You can leave any time in there. Nothing. You don't mind me asking how old are you both? I'm 20. How dare you ask that, Nathan? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> after all you've disclosed, your age is too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, I'm 19. I turned 20 pretty soon. All right. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm 22. So obviously, like, you're. Kind of right out of school age which is just really it's really interesting because that's quite a big move yeah you're telling me <laughs> oh yeah no no i'm just I, I went to china when i was 18 so right. like, you know 18th birthday you know four months later on a plane and it's can only i can only imagine the experience you're going through now because i mean Yes, China is as wild. It's as far and away different from anything you can expect. But even still, to go from the states to here, 
to leave home to come here? Like, I, is there a wide group of missionaries here that have all sort of all? Do do you guys come over in like year groups or in groups? Because I, I know, for instance, that you know two other um, girls I know, both called Nicole and Nicole, Nicole McLaughlin, Nicole Lewis, friends from high school. So. Is there like a, a network or do you guys go over in batches or how is it that you keep up a sort of social support and things like that when you're over here? Yeah, so we come out in, in groups. It's it's every every six weeks, actually, there's another another oh, batch. Wow. Um, and it's usually <laughs> groups of, well, out, outside of COVID, um, <laughs> it's groups of usually somewhere between like, I don't know, five and 15, somewhere yeah. in there. Um, and then as they come in, obviously people are, are hitting their two years and going home. So that's kind of how it stays, how it stays fresh. Um, yeah. That just cycles through. So, and like when we're called, we believe we're called by revelation from the prophet. Um, and so, you know, like we're called to the Scotland, Ireland mission is what we call it. Mm -hmm. Best so, mission in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if we come to Scotland and then we can also serve in the Republic if we have our guard cards for us Americans, um, <laughs> and then Northern Ireland, so. Ah, okay, so, yeah, that's, that's quite intriguing. So I'm just thinking, so you, you said there that you're called by revelation, so, mm -hmm. but you said from the prophets, that's what I, so, how, how, how does that work? Is it like, do you get an envelope through your door on your 18th birthday going like you, being selected, is it? Golden <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's pretty so anyone can serve a mission um that is old enough and and there's like an interview to make sure that you're you're living the standards we believe um it's kind of hard to teach things that you you aren't living you know <laughs> yes um but as long as you meet those requirements anybody can go and your your application we say application nobody's <laughs> they, they don't ever say no right but your your papers are sent to the leaders of the church um and one of the apostles is assigned each week to to look at the the people to read through their application and to pray and assign them somewhere in the world so that's yeah. how that works but it's not like an envelope slips right door and says <laughs> you're going here congratulations you won yeah. it's like oh i you know i want to go on a mission so i'm going to submit my papers Okay. So it's like completely up to us if we want to go or not. It's encouraged, uh, okay. but it's up to us. Okay. Although I, turns out you, so you, you turn them in, right? And then you're just dying for the next week <laughs> because, because you're going to find out where you're going, right? And they switch, you used to get a letter in the mail, yeah. right? That lets you know like where you're going. Um, turns out they changed that to email, but I wasn't aware of that. So I was like stalking <laughs> my mailman through the neighborhood for a solid like five days. And it never, he, he thought he was about to get killed, I think. I'm not sure what was going on. But yeah, we just get, just get a little email and it says, uh, Elder blank, your sister blank. Um, you've been called to serve as a missionary. Here's where you're going, blah, blah, blah. But, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm kind of picturing in my head that's like the sense of like modernization and digitization was like, no, no, we, I thought it was paper. If you were doing paper, why did that change? I'm just imagining you like stalking your mailman and then just someone at the church going, why has he not responded? Does he not? He's a young man. He probably checks his email like Everly. Why have I not got a response? I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't accept this digital copy. Email, <laughs> email and I'll accept it. You need to bring it to, you need to put it 
in the mailbox. It needs to, if it's not in my hand physically, I'm not going. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, lovely. But just before we go, um, as I said, you're from Utah and Wyoming, respectively. If I, I'm a big traveler. I do, I do love a bit of a holiday. I mean, if COVID would ever give it a break, then I would quite <laughs> like to go somewhere. So what, what's a must-be in Utah and in Wyoming? I, I mean, I understand nothing against Wyoming, but I understand there's not much there. And the nicest possible way ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I would strongly disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, source, my sources were wrong, it seems. <laughs> no, yeah. So, so Wyoming. How do how do I phrase it? It requires more creativity. You, you it's, it's just not as good. It's just not as good. Don't listen to it. <laughs> if I was if I was from here and I was to go to Wyoming, I would recommend Yellowstone. Would be my my first spot. It's it's actually the first national park um, in American history. Mm. Fun fact for you. But it's it's, it's beautiful. It's it's gigantic. It actually stretches into a few states. That's what's supposed to say. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, like my massive like just California, gigantic. Oregon, Idaho, Montana, I assume Wyoming, Colorado yeah. too, possibly. Probably. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's there, it's out there, it's nice. Yeah, it's somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. I'd go there though. It's it's pretty sweet. It's beautiful. Okay. Like Yeah. Um and for Utah, it depends on what season you want to go. All right. Uh, summer, you're... because I hate the cold. Okay, okay. Uh, for summer, definitely Moab. Mm -hmm. Moab, Utah. Moab. Moab. Mm -hmm. Except for you, you want to go to Moab like spring or fallish. Okay, not too hot. Because in summer, it's just too hot. Yeah, mm -hmm. too hot. Um, in spring, you'll see, it, so it's Red Rock. I don't know what you, if you know what that is. What that is. Yeah. Okay. Sandstone. Mm -hmm. uh, sandstone, like, yes. Yeah. And so it's this gorgeous city surrounded by sandstone, you know, like red sandstone walls. Oh, nice. Over a thousand foot, uh, over a thousand feet tall, just vertical. Wow. Um, and like, you know, you can like go walk up next to those edges. You can go drive up next to them. A lot of like off-road jeeping is there, is what we mm -hmm. call it. Like dirt biking, um, mountain biking, skiing, or not skiing, but I guess skiing in the south, there's a mountain range right by it. Mm -hmm. Um, where in the winter they get a lot of snow as well so if you go in the spring you can see Moab, the red rock the desert and then about what 100 miles away if that you see these mountains just covered in snow oh man yeah it's a difference yeah it's gorgeous and then like in the winter you can go and ski and um snowmobile and like go do stuff you do in the snow there um but definitely Moab, Moab, utah or St. George, the Zions National Park. Not sure if you've ever heard of that. Briefly, yeah. Yeah, Zions National Park is nice as well. Or And then while you're there, you can drive like five hours to the Wasatch Front. That's, mm -hmm. that's nice as well. A, I just want to point out here that like, in the grand scheme of you telling me holiday destinations, <laughs> Elder Holbrook has had maybe like four or five places. Like, you do this, you can do that. And I just love that Elder McIntosh's start is, so Wyoming needs creativity. <laughs> this, is, this, this is after the, the indignation that I said there was nothing there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Honestly, Utah has everything except for an ocean. And then we have the Great Salt Lake, what's saltier mm -hmm. than an ocean. And it's not too much fun to swim in. 
I can't imagine that. That doesn't sing. It's nice to look at. I'll say that. Yeah, it's really pretty. But then we have lakes that you can go swim at, freshwater lakes, runoff lakes that are freezing. Uh, but they're still fun. Oh, man. Well, this is, this is great. Elder Holbrook, Elder McIntosh, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you. Thank fantastic. you. All right. So this has been uh, the Honor podcast, and it's been Elder Holbrook and Elder McIntosh in conversation with your host, Nathan Ifamali. And here on Unearthed, we hope that you've unearthed a little bit of more, a little bit more of life today and the people in it. And feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can find us at Unearthed Podcast at our page on Facebook, or you can also find, as I said, on Instagram at, at a God made man with an underscore between maid and man, all lowercase. And if you've got a story or a background you'd like to share, just drop us a message. And remember, we're all somebody's neighbor. Thanks so much, guys. See you next week. Yeah, some, something legitimate, not just what they, they heard their neighbor tell their friend, you know? Yeah, yeah. or not just the Book of Mormon <laughs> musical.